Welcome to the teaching ministry of Magnolias First. For more information, visit www.magnoliasfirst.org. As we look at red letter lessons, as we are examining in these weeks the words of Jesus, today we go to Mark chapter 8 where the Lord talks about what it means to be a follower. You know, when you're young and single, it's a normal thing for you to notice the members of the opposite sex and and to enter into conversations. And uh, these days, the young then would exchange contact info on their iPhones and and, uh, social media and all that, that kind of stuff. And all that is is fine, it's casual, and it's, it's non-committal. But it's an entirely different thing when you become engaged to somebody and then you stand before a pastor or a justice of the peace or some other official and you exchange vows and, and you promise to be faithful to each other for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health till death do you part. And you exchange those rings and you sign that marriage license and file it with the the court. When you are married to someone, it's entirely different. And what is it that's the difference? It's commitment. It's commitment, a lifelong commitment to be faithful to one another in a way that you are committed and faithful to no one else on earth. And it is no accident that the New Testament uses the imagery of Christ followers as the bride of Christ. You see, our baptism is like a wedding day. It's a public declaration of our commitment, the commitment of our heart and our life to Jesus Christ as Lord and Master. And if you've been here at Magnolia's First for any length of time, you may know that uh, the last few years we have decided since in our culture there's so much ambiguity and confusion about the term Christian, though that's a good term, it's just a term that people misuse and misunderstand so often, that we more often use the term Christ follower that's based in a word that's the, in the original language of the New Testament that means to be Jesus' disciple or his follower, Christ follower. And we try to communicate that it's, it's not about moral superiority, it's not about following some religious rituals or sacraments that makes a person belong to Christ. It's about an individual transformation so revolutionary that Jesus described it as being born again. A new birth to a new life as a new person. And so what I want to try to unfold in this lesson from the Lord Jesus' words in Mark chapter 8 and later on Mark chapter 10 is simply this, as I stated in today's big idea, following Christ is not a minor adjustment. (laughs) It's a radical change. It's a radical change. 
And the red letter words of Jesus in Mark chapter 8 make it clear what a radical change it is. In Mark chapter 8, just as I am today, Jesus was speaking to a crowd. So if you'd like to follow along in your own Bibles, I, I invite you to open them to Mark chapter 8. We'll begin with verse 34, and later on we'll look at a, a passage from Mark chapter 10 as well. Mark 8 verse 34, Then calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, And here are the words of Jesus. If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. Now some teachers and theologians today divide believing and following into two different experiences, two different points in the, the life journey of an individual, two separate steps. I, I, I don't understand, but they, they say you can believe now and then later on decide to follow Jesus. I believe that's a false dichotomy. It's a false theology. It's an invalid argument. Jesus says here very clearly, if you try to hang on to your life, if you insist on being your own master, your own little G God, if you will, you will lose it. Accepting Christ's authority in your life is part of and parcel of what it means to become a Christ follower. Now let me say at the outset, for every one of us who are Christ followers, we would all agree that we have not followed perfectly, amen? We're, we're sinful human beings. The apostle Paul himself said, uh, the very things I want to do, I don't do, and the very things I don't want to do, I do. Wretched man that I am. And then he goes on to thank God for his grace. So it is not our job performance, if you will, that's the issue. It's the intent of our heart that's the issue. Are you following me? It's the heart that is surrendered to Christ that Jesus is talking about here. New life, the new life in Christ cannot be earned by any kind of works. We're unable to, to even make one inch progress in that. It is a gift of God's grace that is received, but it is received with surrender. It is received when we surrender, not only believe with our mind, but surrender our heart and our will to Christ, not only as Savior, but Lord and Master. When he changes us from the inside out. What I'm trying to say is a person cannot say to Jesus, come in, Savior, but stay out, Lord. We invite him in to be our Savior and our Lord. And so when Jesus said in this passage, take up your cross, the listeners knew exactly what he was talking about. Now, in our culture, the cross is a beautiful, comforting symbol, especially to those of us as, 
uh, as we heard so beautifully in glorious song, the forgiveness of Christ that comes through the cross. The, and the cross is so beautiful and meaningful to us. Uh, it is a common piece of, of jewelry. And even people who make no claim to faith will wear crosses uh, as, as an ornament of jewelry. But in the first century, it was not a piece of jewelry. It was an instrument of death. And so when Jesus said to the first century listeners, take up your cross, they understood it had something to do with death, that Jesus was actually inviting people to die, to die to themselves. And for us, that means that we are willing to, with his help and power, suppress our own selfish desires and agendas and exchange them in our lives for the will of God. For some through the centuries and even today, some are called upon to literally give their lives, to be martyred for the cause of Christ. And so when we hear Jesus' invitation, come and die, we wonder, why would anyone want to do that? What benefit is there to an invitation to die? Well, here's the simple truth. Following, following Jesus, following Christ, means that you give up to gain. You give up to gain. What do you gain? Is it worth it? Well, in short, let me put it this way. You gain a new identity. You become a new person. You gain a new purpose in life. And let me tell you why those two are, are, are so important. Every person, whether they know how to articulate it or not, every person lives trying to answer two questions. Who am I and why am I here? Who am I? And why am I here? Pastor Rick Warren has done the, the Church of the Lord a great service in his classic book, The Purpose Driven Life. If you have not read that book, I encourage you to read it. If you have read it, I encourage you to reread it. It's a 31-day journey in which he unpacks masterfully the answer to those two questions for a Christ follower. Who am I and why am I here on planet Earth? And as a follower of Christ, you have a new identity and a new purpose in life. And beyond that, you have eternal life and eternal reward. So he is asking you to exchange a self-driven, self-focused life for a hundred years if you're blessed or less for most of us for an eternity of the riches and glory of heaven in his presence. I don't know about you, that's an easy trade. That's an easy trade. Because this life passes in the, the contrast and comparison of eternity, it passes like the blink of an eye. And Christ's payment on the cross for our sin applied to your sin debt when you accept him by faith, you have eternal life as a promise. And so in light of that truth, in verses 36 and 37, Jesus asks a very good question. Look at it. Verse 36, and what do you benefit if you gain the whole world 
but lose your own soul. Is anything worth more than your soul? Well, that puts it in perspective, doesn't it? The Bible teaches that hell is real and horrible. Now, here at Magnolia's First, we are not into sensationalizing that to try to manipulate somebody's emotions or scare them into to coming to faith. But, but let me just state it simply this way. Living for anything other than Christ is a bad trade. It's a bad trade. When you look into the reality of the two destinations for eternity, to live for anything other than Christ is a colossal waste. You may have had the experiences I have uh, over the years of, of talking to somebody about coming to faith in Christ, and they might say something like, well, I just don't know if I could give up fill in the blank. Ever had a conversation like that? I just don't know if I could give up, and you know, sometimes it's not even things that the Lord would ask to give up, but the issue is not that thing that they're holding out unwilling to give up. The real issue is heart surrender. Heart surrender. I mean, do you remember the story of Abraham and Isaac? One of the most chilling stories in the Old Testament where God told Abraham to take his son, his only son Isaac, who, who was the apple of his eye, the love uh, of his heart for his son was beyond measure. And so God said, I want you to take your son and sacrifice him on the altar, on, on the, the top of the mountain. And Isaac, not, Abraham, not understanding why God would ask for Isaac with a broken heart and a devastated Life took his son, took him all the way up to the top of the altar uh, mountain, put him on the altar, raised the knife, and God said, wait, stop. I never wanted your son to begin with. I just wanted to see if I had your heart, your heart. Well, God will not call on any of us to take a child. I mean, I mean that's, that's an, an uh, hyperbole historically in the Old Testament, an overstatement. But guess what? God asks us that nothing would be more important than him, that no one would be of greater worth in our heart than him. And the, the reality is, and, and we would say this to someone we're talking to about coming to faith in Christ, the Lord will never withhold from you something that is for your good and your blessing. God is not a cosmic killjoy. He will never keep from you something that would be good and meaningful and, and, and a blessing in your life. When you come to Christ and you pick up your cross to follow him as a Christ follower, you are trusting him to provide for you and give to you all that you will need and to lead you in a way that will give you the greatest happiness and contentment and fulfillment. And so Jesus' call here is a call for all of us. He's, he's not saying, hey, why don't you try it out for a while and see if you like it? And then if so, you can be mine. He's not saying, hey, listen, one foot in and one foot out is okay. No. Look at what Jesus says in verse 38. If anyone is ashamed of me and my message in these adulterous and sinful days, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person 
when he returns in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. That's a pretty bold statement. Jesus is basically saying this. Halfway doesn't work with following Christ. Either you're in or you're out. Here at Magnolia's First, we will, we will never try to sell an easy believism to say, hey, it's an it's a easy thing, just, just come on and be a part. We want to be clear what Jesus said. He is calling you to a life of commitment, but it will always be far more than you could ever give that you will receive in return. He is not asking you to follow him for nothing is further from the truth. The return for following Christ is an abundant, overwhelming return both in this life and the next. I want you to see a promise of Jesus. So now turn to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, beginning with verse 29. Again, the words of Jesus. Yes, Jesus replied, And I assure you that everyone who has given up house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or property for my sake and for the good news will receive now in return a hundred times as many houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and property along with persecution. And in the world to come, that person will have eternal life. Jesus is saying that following Christ will have rewards both in this world and in the world to come. Now, for many of us, when we committed to follow Christ, our families applauded and supported us. But that's not true in every family or in every culture. I remember when Jessica was at HBU, one of her sweetmates in the dorm at HBU came from a Muslim family. And during her time there at HBU, she gave her heart to Christ and her family rejected her. But she held true and kept her testimony strong for Christ. There are cultures in which when you come to faith in Christ, you will face rejection and the loss of friendships and even family relationships. But Jesus is saying this, though you may lose some things for faith in him, you will gain far more. When you come to Christ, you gain a new family that stretches all over the world. You have brothers and sisters by the millions who become a part of your spiritual family. And though God does not promise wealth, he promises he will take care of his children who are faithful to him. And beyond that, there are spiritual riches that you can't begin to put a price upon. What we gain when we are adopted into the family of God by faith as a son or daughter is so much more than we would ever sacrifice. And yet some are not willing to trust the Lord for that. Uh, in Mark chapter 10, let me give you just a little bit of a backstory. In the earlier verses, there's a story of a man who comes to Jesus and he asks Jesus the question, what do I need to do 
to inherit eternal life. And in the conversation, it's revealed the man is a religious man. Uh, he's done all kinds of external things. But then Jesus asks him for one more thing that really identifies where his heart is. So pick it up with me, Mark chapter 10, verse 21. Looking at the man, Jesus felt love for him. There's still one more thing you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad, for he had many possessions. Jesus knew this man was willing to believe in his mind, but unwilling to believe with his heart and his will, that he wouldn't trust Jesus for the needs of his life, for his finances. In that area of life, he wanted to be his own God, little g. And then Jesus makes a sad statement in verse 23. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. This was a shocking statement to those in Jesus' time because especially among the Jews, wealth was considered an evidence of God's favor. Uh, wealth was thought of as a blessing from God that enabled those who were wealthy to get whatever they desired, that they were in control of all things in life. And yet Jesus here was asking that we exchange that value system for a different value system, one that's radically different from the culture. If you were here last week, Pastor Milt preached on Jesus' words on money, and you remember the verse where Jesus said, you cannot serve both God and money. You can't have two masters. And so Jesus is saying, release that to me. Release that, that image of what it means to be great, that the culture says is important that wealth and power and fame are what makes someone significant. And he says in verse 31, but many who are the greatest now will be the least important then. And those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. I saw several times on TV this, this last week uh, a report of uh, some award show or whatever, and backstage, Brad Pitt and Jennifer Aniston uh, entered into conversation. They used to be married to each other. And, I mean, the, the, the news media is just making a big deal out of it. And I looked at it, and I had to say, who cares? <laughs> who cares? But in our star-obsessed secular culture, people just become fixated on famous people. Listen, the truth is that being a megastar in today's culture 
you can be a nobody in God's kingdom. And when eternity begins and the blink of an eye of this earthly life is over, those who might have been nobodies in the secular culture, we will see who the really great people were as God reveals that in eternity. I mean, why would someone want to trade being great for the fleeting moment of life on earth for the eternal greatness in the forever kingdom of the heavenly Father? The Lord Jesus offers a new life, a new future, adoption into his forever family. And when we hear that, we just wonder, can it really be free? Is it really free? No, it's not. The gift of God's grace is free to us, but it costs Christ everything. I want to take you to one more passage This time in Paul's letter to the Colossian church, Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 through 22. Follow along on the screen. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything on heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you, who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now, he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Just believe and follow. I don't have to earn. I don't have to perform. I don't have to adhere or achieve. Can it be that easy? It's not that easy. It costs Christ everything. He shed his blood He gave his life to pay the debt that you and I owed to the Heavenly Father for our sin that we could never pay. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Now let me give you three reasons why following Christ is the best decision you could ever make. If you're here today and you have never come to Christ by faith, not asking if you're Baptist, Methodist, Catholic, Presbyterian, those labels are insignificant. Have you ever come to Christ by faith? Have you ever believed in him and surrendered your heart and life to him? If you haven't, listen to these reasons why it would be the best decision you could ever make. Reason number one, as a Christ follower, you are forgiven and adopted into his family with the full rights of a son or daughter of God, and you will live with him forever. Here's another reason. 
As a Christ follower, you're becoming a part of a worldwide spiritual family that transcends generations, languages, and cultures. You will have brothers and sisters. You will have a family that stretches to the ends of the earth. And when we finally get to heaven, there'll be no barriers of race, language, or culture. Here's one more. As a Christ follower, you are trusting your future to someone who knows what is ahead and has the power to change you from the inside out. One of the first solos I ever sang in church was... It basically said, I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I know who holds tomorrow. To live with that kind of confidence and security, you can't put a price on that. I close quickly with these next steps. Pretty simple, really. Number one, if you are not a Christ follower, ask yourself, why not? Why not? Why would you refuse the invitation of the God who created you and loved you and gave his son for you to be your own God instead? Why would you do that? Number two, if you are a Christ follower, ask yourself, am I all in? Or have I been trying to live with one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom of God? If you're a Christ follower, be all in. Because following Christ is not a minor adjustment. It's a radical change. Pray with me. Lord, we are so thankful that you would love us, undeserving, unworthy sinners that we are. And that for those of us who are Christ followers, you know how weak we are, how often we stumble, and yet the grace of God that saved us covers us anew every day. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. Thank you for the new life in Christ that you've given us, for a new identity, for a new purpose, for a change in life that cannot even begin to be understood by those who have not yet experienced it. I pray for anyone that might be here today or listening to the podcast that has never given their heart to Christ. Help them to see what a glorious, wonderful thing it is. And though, as Oliver said in his testimony, it's hard. It's hard. But you are with us every step of the way. And we give you thanks and praise. In Jesus' name, amen.